Hello and welcome to another episode of Fekava Vet Chat. We talk for quite a while about the One Health philosophy. And usually it is so that veterinary medicine is taken second place behind human medicine. So that we do a few things, but usually we look up to our human medicine colleagues. In this case, and in this episode, I would call it possibly One Health Plus, because today we talk about one area where we have, I think, the heads up on our human colleagues. What I'm talking about is our approach to the COVID pandemic. Veterinary surgeons have been involved in the research of the pandemic, the control of the pandemic, and also in the production of the vaccines. However, we have one further tool in our arsenal that our human colleagues possibly don't have. And these are our canine patients or just the canine yeah, species we are dealing with, which is just a little bit better than we are to sniff out somebody who has a COVID virus infection. And to talk about it, I have no one less than the head of the small animal clinic of uh, Hanover Veterinary School, um, Holger Folk. Hello and good evening, Holger, to join us for this episode. Hello, it's really great um, that we finally speak um, and I'm really looking forward. I, as, as I said before, I really would love to talk some German English, so I'm sure a lot of people are just enjoying this episode to the best. <laughs> yes, yeah. You see, there's a one, I think we should explain it. So the first thing is, and uh, whoever is listening to this or watching this, I'm afraid you have to endure two Germans speaking <laughs> English. And for the two Germans speaking English, where it's pretty clear that we are not native German. Now, well, Holger is getting very close. I will never getting get closer. Mm. <laughs> But then, well, that's my background. It's it's just the way it is. Anyway, so but we have more in common, I think, than uh, than than just being vets. We, uh, um, you are at the, uh, Hanover Vet School. That was where was where I studied. Did you study also in Hanover? Yeah, I did. I did. I did study. In okay, good. Mm -hmm. A few years after me, I would assume, <laughs> and then. And then, and then we also both spent a fair amount of time uh, in the UK. Actually, sort of still are, and and we we both sort of like to go over there. Uh, but we also both are a little bit Brexit damaged, I think. So one way, one way or the other, I would say. Mm -hmm. How long did you live in the UK? Oh, it was nearly fifteen years. So I. Uh... Yeah, I, I did study, you know, obviously in, in Hanover like you did. And then I, I had one year um, of exchange in, in Lyon, which was a, a fabulous year. And then when I finished, I uh, in Germany, you know, people have to be very organized, very structured. And then, you know, when you want to make a career, you have to plan your life um, till the end. So um, at that time point, I thought about doing research. And so I did epilepsy research. Um, and did my PhD with Wolfgang Löscher, which was an absolutely great experience. Uh, was one of the first PhD students in 
in Hanover. And, That's and then, the, by the way, uh, Wolfgang Löscher is the biochemistry professor, mm -hmm. or was a professor in biochemistry. Mm -hmm. Pharmacology. Pharm pharmacology. Pharmacology. Oh, okay, pharmacology. pharmacology. Yeah, and and so, so the people who the people who speak German, he had also the nickname Auslöscher. Exactly. Yeah, he <laughs> because was, he he was quite hard in his exams. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, Wolfgang Löscher is probably one of the smartest people I've met in my life. Yeah. I uh, when you when you work with him, he's quite an inspiring um, individual. But he's also strict and um, yeah. can be, you know. Saying this, I, I think he was um, always very kind to me and definitely has helped me a lot in my career. He, I, you will never, I will never forget, you know, uh, a couple of, the, of the, the times I spent with him. And one, you know, I, I had a chat with him about some, some findings I had during my PhD. And he said, oh, wait, there's a paper. And then he just goes to his little <laughs> cabinet and he pulled this one paper out. And, you know, and he did this so many times. And you think like, oh, my gosh, this guy has such a memory. And he, he is one of the top sighted people in the world. So uh, he is, you know, when we talk I'm, about One Health, you yeah. know, he has done uh, amazing uh, work for veterinary patients. He, he was behind the whole Pateau and Paxion story. So he, he because of him, actually, uh, the molecule got developed for veterinary medicine uh, because he was the first patent holder. And, um, but he also is one of, of a kind in epilepsy research in human fields. So, yeah, but by saying this, that unfortunately that was um, um, still not enough um, for me. And uh, I didn't want to only deal with rodents my whole life. Um, and so I wanted to, you know, uh, look after pets. That's why I started veterinary medicine. I, I, I do love owners and I do love pets. Um, I know I'm quite unique in this, but I do love people. And, um, and so I went to the Royal Vet College and um, David Church at that time gave me the chance. It was, yeah, it was, fast, uh, was a great ride. So I, I started like, you know, from a dishwasher to the millionaire. Perhaps I was not the millionaire, but I, I was the intern. Um, had a really rough ride in the beginning, I, I would say, um, because as, as you know, the veterinary education in Germany was not probably at the same standard as the UK veterinary education in the last year, especially in the clinical years. But then um, I think my PhD helped me. Uh, my academic side was very well developed. And at the end, I left as a head of department from, for all the clinical services. Um, well, something after all the hospitals, you know. I think so. that the lack of knowledge, I think we sometimes, that's, that's my own impression sort of was, we, we tend to make up, I mean, there's a little bit of our German gene, I would say, possibly with accuracy. And we are, we, we, we have a sort of, we usually see that we have a working plan. We are organized. We mm -hmm. definitely so, are. And that can be, and that can be advantage. I mean, I found that very often sort of with my, with my team or with my clients also, I was certainly not sort of the, the, the sharpest vet around, but I was organized. People knew exactly what they get with me and I communicated well. And I, I, I said to a lot of clients, sorry, that's beyond that, what I know or what I can or what I understand, but <laughs> really smart colleague around the corner. Yeah. And I sent you to him or I sent you to her and, uh, and, and I'm very happy then once she or he has seen your dog that I continue with the treatment. But I think we, 
and and then then have continuity have good communication with the referral place and then people as as long as they understand what you are doing oh it's fine it's absolutely no problem mm. it actually adds to trust right doesn't it yeah 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 mm. Well, Sue, um, uh, neurology, uh, obviously, that's, that's sort of your, your main thing. So that came through your, uh, did that start at the RBC or did that already start at Hanover with your, with your um, PhD? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, to, to be honest, I probably started with, um, I always tell the story about beauty, which my, my own old Iris set a dog and um, um, when I was a vet student in Lyon, she had, uh, you know, she started to have seizures and I will never forget um, the moment where she had a generalized seizure uh, in, in the in the little little flat, which um, some nuclear plant powered um, electric heating. Um, and, you know, the first thing I did after she had a generalized tonic chronic seizures, I ran to my car and got my stethoscope and then I listened to her heart. And I guess one of the things we all know is you can't stop a seizure with your stethoscope. But it was it was kind of one of those moments, you know, which which shape you and you thought like, whoa, this is this is really frightening. And I was already a vet student, you know, I already was in a clinical year and and Lyon had a really nice way of teaching um, and that frightened me. And then um, when I, I had a couple of key moments in my life, I was a leadership student in Cornell University and coming back home, then I thought about, you know, where could I be a lab student in which, uh, actually, which institute. And at that time, there were three. And uh, I did, you know, the typical, obvious, uh, the typical US way that you look at the PubMed records, um, to be very honest. I was very dry and organized, like you would say. Um, and and Lusha was one of the people who had the best track record at the university. And then I I will never forget, I, I, I went to his office and uh, knocked on those double doors, which people had, you know, they had those double doors, so it's very quiet yeah. inside. Um, and, and he said, yes. And I said, hey, I, I, you know, I was just in Cornell and uh, they said it would be great to do a, be a lab student during, even if when you're still a final year student. And he looked, just looked at me and he was very surprised um, about this idea. And I think at that time he thought I'm, I'm totally out of my mind and uh, but saying that there was uh, another pro uh, a person who was doing his habilitation Ulrich Ebert and he uh, he saw the chance and then we did some really amazing work about uh, neurogenesis in epilepsy uh, which at that time no one believed us but um, a couple of years later um, nature papers happened so not with me unfortunately but um, it was it was definitely a ride and and since then you know actually Lusha always had students in his lab um, and I think he recruited some really bright bright minds from from doing this because it's a nice nice way of you know uh, getting your toes into the water and um, diving a little bit deeper into the research field and then after I finished I did the PhD and then obviously doing epilepsy research um, when I applied at the RBC I have to say they didn't want me you know uh, I always say um, an academic life is a life of rejection um, yeah well it's uh, J.K. Rowling offered yes, her Harry Potter novels uh, to I yeah, don't know exactly. how many publishers. So no shame in no asking shame. that. What counts? That's what I also often also say to say say to students or even also to uh, to my kids. Knock on ten doors. The nine exactly. doors that don't open, 
don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Nobody exactly. knows about it. That's just you and this uh, the, the person who doesn't take you. So there's no shame in that. But that what counts is the one that opens it. And yeah, and, and just to get up again, you know. So I um, I also applied in the US for internships and I applied obviously uh, in, uh, in England. And at the end, I think um, that's why I mentioned David Church. He saw the potential in me and um, uh, and got me over for doing an internship, and and that was really great. Um, at the end, it paid out. You know, I think I definitely was very loyal, and I'm still loyal to the Royal Vet College. Um, it is a great place to work. There are some amazing colleagues, um, and um, I have been very fortunate to have some amazing mentors. So. I obviously, one of the things I, I tried, I, I did a little bit of Chiari-like malformations, syringomyelia research and neuropathic pain, but epilepsy, I could never really shake off. So I've been doing, you know, a lot of work in epilepsy, nutrition. Now we do deep brain stimulation. We do all the, all the stuff you can think of um, to improve drug-resistant epilepsy. Um, but saying this, um, yeah, obviously, you know, we, we are now branching out and doing learning research and cognitive type uh, research and, and, and so on. Um, but I, yeah, I, I do still miss the UK. Um, it's very funny. I'm, um, I'm, I'm still uh, sometimes sad, you know, I, I, I loved working there. It's a great place to work as a vet, but I also have to say I'm really, really proud of being back home. Um, coming home, I think um, we can make a huge difference, actually. Um, and there are some, you know, the new generation there is, is amazing. There are, there are some really bright minds. I, I think actually the, the people you get in the German system, very fortunate. Um, I do miss the internationality, but we are changing this at the moment. So we get more folks from abroad. Um, but saying this, I mean, TU is a great place to work. And actually, to be honest, it's probably and a better place to do research. We, it's, um, it's easier to do research and there's more opportunity to do that. So that, that is, you know, in, in a nutshell, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, not a person who wouldn't say, I don't miss the places I've been. Um, but, but then, always, come on, you I can hardly, hardly, hardly find a town in there or a city in Germany that has a closer link to, to the UK than Hanover. Mm -hmm. exactly so and 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 also the position where you sit i mean this is this is an international environment uh, uh, and uh, so uh, it's so easy to move sometimes well theoretically it's exactly. easy sort of now okay brexit makes it a bit more difficult but nevertheless with academia it's certainly easier to 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 think international than say in private practice also 100 and you you should come and visit you know i mean the place has changed i don't know when you were last time there but the clinic is second to none i mean you know the the toys we have as a clinician is is just fabulous um it's really great but today we want to narrow the 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 nervous system down to the first cranial nerve. I, exactly. I would say so. We're just talking about the olfactory nerve because we want to talk about sort of dogs sniffing out somebody who is uh, has a COVID infection. Um, so, so, so first of all, before we do that, I mean, um, I. I remember that I went to one lecture at BSAVA Congress and the lecturer was talking about the vision of dogs and he compared it with human vision. 
and sort of he said, okay, not an old dog, but a, but a young dog, um, uh, obviously not particularly good with sort of seeing color, but um, they apparently see light six times better than we do. So if we go out with a, with a young dog sort of uh, uh, at night or at dusk, they probably see better contrast than we probably do. But then the sight is not the big thing. I mean, with cats, it's a completely different matter than also with the position of the eyes and things like yeah. that. But um, uh, uh, in this case, smelling, how much better do they smell than we do? Yeah, it's, Any idea? It's, Can you compare it? You know, I, I, think, I think one of the challenges as a, as a human being, and it explains probably also how we came about to do this research when when we do research as as most scientists will do i think we always take a very anthropocentric type of view so we are you know uh you have a human who has cognitive problems and um, it's often memory of images and words and so we try to replicate this in our in our animal models so to speak and 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 I I flipped that and and the reason actually why we started with this whole research and then I answer your question was because we we got really interested in cognitive dysfunction so uh, dogs which you know a, a dog which is age of twelve one in three is is affected uh, um, dogs which are fifteen to six two out of three dogs are affected but the one disease this has not been properly studied was epilepsy so we we started to do some uh, work together. Um, Rina Packer was at that time my, my, my postdoc and she did some great work and, and that kind of started the whole process. And we found that dogs with epilepsy have a reduction in trainability and, and get signs of cognitive dysfunction, so like dementia, canine dementia, which I just mentioned earlier, right? And that, and that was really interesting. And then, but if you also look at that type of questionnaires, it's often very anthropocentric in my opinion and and so we thought you know as you said the dog will probably appreciate the environment in a very different way than we do so we thought could we test um the sensing ability by you know by the smell um and look at at cognition from that point of view you know um and that's and that's what we did we we looked at um cognitive behavior um, um, and and how how this integrates into scent? Yeah, I have mm -hmm. to. I just realized my lights are turning off, so we have to. Be able to <laughs> why we ever. can we can still see you? Why but, ever? Yeah. You know, uh, probably my kids. Um, but so 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 we the, the plan was um, when I also started in, in Hanover. Obviously, when you when you move as a professor, you get some opportunities you which which you wouldn't have otherwise, right? Um, and um, financially, and and so we 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 established and 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 built up a nice behavioral app with uh, with my postdocs um, Sebastian Madame Friedrich Twiller and and they um, and and there we have had this um, device where you um, have different holes seven holes and um and behind each hole you have uh, two options and and you can look at 
couple of learning paradigms and and that's how we started so we first looked you know can we train dogs and how do epileptic dogs behave uh, do they have problems with certain types of memory so we wanted to get more into in into detail there and um if you think about a dog um i think the best way to describe how good their sense of smell is that they can uh smell one drop of fluid in 20 olympic pools so it's an amazing amount right um you can also do a comparison like you say you know you have we have like five million uh, uh nerve cells feel out if I, you know because it's it's not actually a nerve to be now I'm, I'm the neurologist but it doesn't matter but you know it's it there are five 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 million receptors we have and and dogs have 250 to 300 million so we, we have a a, a higher number there's different there's they have a bigger surface when they smell um the airflow through the nose is very different They're, um so you have a lot of abilities they have which we will not have and i think and that becomes more interesting is they have also the vomo nasal organ you know the one which you have uh from your mouth um upwards and i do think that will um and i can't tell you yet 100% but I do think that they this plays also a role at the moment people think that you need to have um, a touch or uh, um, to that but I do think that dogs are able to recognize uh, protein structures over that uh, like they can you know uh, pheromones can be detected over it and I think as long they are in some form airborne um, they can sense it not only by sniffing, but also probably by the nasal organ, which gives you kind of an extra boost in your smell behavior compared to us. And I think I think we have no clue what they really sense or not sense. And and the interesting thing is, and this is not the first time in my career, has um, been kind couple of things, you know, where we started something. So the first one I told you about the neurogenesis and epilepsy, because we found it in different areas of the brain, people didn't think new neurons belong to. Um, so that was a dogma, you know, then there was a dogma about the blood brain barrier being something which there's a barrier and there's no drugs really can penetrate it and that there's no active transporter so we then looked at multi-drug transporters which actively pump lipophilic structures out it was a total no-go so it's another dogma which was turned over then we studied a lot about nutrition and epilepsy and people said oh your results can't be true because it's just nutrition and it's not a drug and you know now other people are showing this and the same is happening now with the with this COVID sensing stuff saying this one of the things which is absolutely fascinating in the work we are doing at the moment it's you feel like the whole science community is focusing on making a difference um which has been phenomenal i mean you know i know i know and i i am i'm COVID tired like probably most people are but it has been probably quite quite a short period of time right i mean we got the vaccine developed in, in in no time and the same is happening now um since we studied the first paper i mean so many groups there are more than 25 countries in the world which are working on this now and 
And, and I always compare science with a, with a picture from uh, mosaic stones, right? And you, know, you, you, you find your little stone, but as long no one else finds some similar stones, it doesn't never give adds up to a picture. Um, and, and in this case, many groups around the world have found similar results. And yes, everyone always says, you know, we are the first one, but at the end of the day, we, first, we published the first paper, Dominique Grandjean in, in Paris and Alfort, he, he, he is kind of the father um, of, of, of this type of work across, across the world and probably the best network person, but um, we work very closely together. And, and it looks like, you know, there's a real momentum has gone. So um, I will never forget that we started end of March, beginning of April with that work. And at the beginning, we all had, a, had very difficulties of getting samples from people who um, were in, infected. Um, and then obviously we only con compared them to controls. So meaning no SARS-CoV infection. Um, and when we published the first one, it was already published in July, which is an unbelievable speed in, in scientific community. Um, and you know, since then there are so many papers been published and they all find very similar results. And I will never forget the moment where um, it was a it was a Friday evening, and I called Albert Osterhaus, who is like a, a big guru in virology about coronavirus. He started he did his whole world, his whole career about coronavirus and influenza, um, and he's now also at the THO, um, um, but was is a vet uh, virologist was law is 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 Dutch. But now he spends like his his um, end of his career. So you you headhunted him, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and you know he's he's been he he thought I'm totally crazy, you know. So um, I, I switch on my light again, hey. Um, yep. um, and and then we had on the Friday evening he thought like oh, yeah yeah this young professor you know whatever and whatever he says you know why how can dogs actually sniff stuff like that. And then the next morning we had another chat, you know, and, and he was like, yeah, why not? So I really, I really think Ab is an amazing guy because he thinks a little bit outside the box as well. So he's not just, you know, because when you, when, when you tell people first and especially I think human colleagues and scientists can be sometimes quite ignorant or yeah, potentially even arrogant in some ways um, to those types of new ideas. Um, but now I think there's not a lot of people who have been in the matter who would doubt what we have been finding, you know, because there's so many people who have found exactly the same. We could replicate our results. We um, have done some amazing new work um, where we also uh, took uh, cell cultures and infected them with different types of viruses. So we, different coronaviruses, different other respiratory viruses, but also SARS-CoV-1, MERS um, and SARS-CoV-2, and the dogs were able to differentiate them. So it's not, you know, wow. yes, you know, they, uh, it's but, not, but, not but, 100% uh, specific. To, to but a little bit in there, you, you, you mentioned, getting 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 the material i mean that must have been in the beginning must have been so difficult how how, how did you manage that getting your hands on something <laughs> and then also i mean one thing is getting your hands on it but then also 
uh, not getting infected by it or really, I mean, because you, you have also a duty of care to the people who are doing the research. You can't just sort of ask yeah. them to handle them, uh, yeah. the, the material. Fantastic, so, fantastic comment. And, and, you're, and you're totally spot on. And obviously, um, it's not only taking the material, which would, would be one thing, you know, you can obviously ask people, but then also transporting it because because of the law, you're not allowed to just, you know, take it in your bag and, and travel across uh, Europe, right? That's it's, So it's, uh, yeah. Um, so that that's where App Osterhaus was absolutely amazing. Um, and also, you know, he, he kind of is, is the, Maren von Kirkwitz-Blikwede, she, she also um, leads that institute at, at the TIHO. And both of them have been absolutely stunning. So, but App said, you know, a way to keep the smell would be to inactivate the samples. And we discussed a lot about, do we do this with heat? Do we do this with UV light or how do we do it? And, and he came up with the idea of doing, of using better propionolactone, which um, uh, gave us the possibility to inactivate the samples. But at that moment of time, and we are talking, you know, when you think about when the pandemic hit Europe, um, there was very little known. Um, we didn't even know which cell line was the best to look at virulence because obviously we he, he has used the BPL inactivation for other viruses and other coronaviruses, but he was, but you have to prove then when you, and we have at the TIHO a high security lab, but you still have to prove that you can take the sample out, right? And it's in, inactive. So you have to make sure um, that the virulence is, is not, you know, uh, um, level is not uh, obviously there, and mm -hmm. and and so that had to be all established in a, an astonishing short period of time. And I'm I'm really grateful to them. Um, there was a postdoc called Claudia Schulz. She still worked with us as well, and and she did a lot of the monkey work there. And and without them, it would have not been possible because, as you said, you you want to be sure that. The folks you work with are are safe, right? And 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 the other one at that moment well, of time yes, we, do, we didn't know do the dogs get infected or not, right? So there was uh, more than more than just the people, um, and also we used um, we used tracheobronchial um, so saliva and tracheobronchial secretion because the first patients we had were all intensive care patients. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously, uh, um, we had to get then controls from the same environment because dogs are so good in their scenting. So they, you know, they might have just smelled the hospital rather than the infection. So we had to take sure that you get obviously samples from the same people in the same environment and all these other things you need to think about. Um, and there, um, you know, I've been very grateful to people that at the university the in Eppendorf and, yeah. and the medical school in Hanover. And actually, um, sorry to, to, to mention so many names, but I, I am really grateful. I mean, you know, Professor Tobias Welte, he's a pneumologist and, um, and Professor Manzi is the head of the, of the medical school and, and they all played a part and, you know, so yeah, yeah. it was, uh, uh, without them, it would have not been possible because, nope. you know, me as a vet, I can't just go to a medical school and say, hey, give me some but samples. But it just shows if our profession work together, what, what can be achieved, especially if we have a scenario like a pandemic. Mm. 100%. And to be honest, you know, I think, I, th I mean, you know, um, 
sorry to quote now David Church again, but he always said to me, you know, if, if no one wants to take the credit, um, obviously he stole this uh, quote too, but, but, but he always said that, you know, he said, if no one wants to take the credit, you know, mankind can achieve great things. And I think one, one of the things in the pandemic at that moment of time, and the people didn't think about, you know, big scientific papers and stuff like that. They really thought about making a difference. And I think that that's the whole reason why we started, right? Yeah. So there you got the samples, then you you do the testing, then results were very, 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 very promising. Yeah. And you know, and obviously having a chat, obviously, you know, we, we in the beginning we had very limited number of, of samples. We used um a different type of training technique, which people because we had this uh, machine. So normally traditionally it takes a long time to train those dogs um, in the in the lineup or in the uh, um, sand wheel or, or whatever, and and by using our the machine you get a lot of repetitions and they get obviously food samples and the training was in a week. Um, one one other question, sorry, the dogs, where did you get the dogs from? Who trains them? Whether how does that work? Yeah, I mean, that's a great story as well. So um, when I did my PhD, there's a there's a, um, a veterinary behaviorist who worked at the TIHO, so uh, Dr. Esther Schalke, and she um, ended up, you know, 15 years later, when I, I called her again, um, ended up at the German Armed Forces. And um, um, they take great care in training the dog, and she is at the moment still, I think, the only diploma holder in veterinary behavior in, in Germany, so good on the German army. And so because of this connection from the past, I said, you know, could you, you think it help? And then obviously she had to ask her, I learned a lot about the army structure in Germany as well, um, um, and, and we got them involved and they thought it, it's a great idea and supported it uh, not only in in dog power uh, also in manpower and in financial terms and helped us um, doing a lot of the research and that was for us you know a win-win situation because I think for them it was great because they got a new insight and that might be even being protective for their soldiers in the field one day but also for us it was great because we had experts in the field and not only the, because as, as you might know, uh, in the explosive world um, and also in, in now with this, it's not only the dog, it's also the dog handler. It, so when you get a certificate also, it's, you know, get normally a certificate for both together um, for the search behavior. And, and, and when we look at what we just did, we now, we did now look at real life scenarios. And when we use them there, um, dogs where you know um uh, it, they, they did perform well but when a dog handler tried to interfere they perform poorly so it, you need to really have a good good team um and 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 that is really essential um and by this connection we were able obviously um to get this all done so there you are, so if you have your first results, it looks all very promising, that works quite well. And then who came up with this idea using the dogs sort of on the concerts? I mean, that's what, what's happening at the moment. Sort of we had a, just for, to explain for our listeners and viewers, sort of 
there are at the moment sort of uh, uh, um, a whole series of music events, sort of rock concerts and, and all sorts of music concerts. And um, the dogs are now tried on these events. So if people have to, I don't know, they they have to, to, to test in advance, so ideally not to bring COVID in, but nevertheless, there's always a risk that one man might slip through. Yeah, so, and I mean... How, 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 how did you, yeah. to start with, how did you manage to get, get hold of the Congress organizers and uh, yeah, the concert organizers? It's also, a, it's also a great story, to be honest. It, 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 you know, the... When, like I said, when we started, we we really did this to make a difference, right? And uh, we did a couple of studies. We prove we did prove our results, and people said, "Ah, oh, can the dogs really do this? You have to prove it again." Then we proved it again. Then uh, we found that it was not only saliva they could uh, detect and differentiate; it was urine and sweat. So we we were able to say, "Hey, guys, it, you can actually differentiate it from all." There's like an ubiquitous um, smell on those individuals. Um, and, and, the, and the interesting thing for that is that sweat, you know, is yes, sometimes potentially you can find a couple of viral viruses in there, but, but normally not, to be honest. And it's, no one has shown that it's infectious. So a lot of people in the world have used actually sweat and they never had a problem, you know? Um, um, and, that, and that's an important part of the story. But when we when we started this, we said, you know, where where can we use it now in the field? And then there were a couple of people uh, interested. But I always believe that when this is used, there needs to be it needs to be a little bit of a top down approach, because what I didn't wanted to have happen is that anyone would start training their dogs and they use it on people because you know they're. Um, especially if you are, have a German history, you know you you don't want that dogs are used in in a in a non-professional way. Let's say this way, right? And sniff out people, and then suddenly you know they get you know pulled out. I know that yeah. in different countries, even in the UK, or you know when you go to New Zealand or US, you you might get sniffed out, and it's kind of accepted. But in Germany, I think it's not not the right image and not the right way forward. And, and so we approach a lot of the authorities and there's a lot of dogs used, you know, for sniffing money, uh, uh, weapons, explosives, and, and there was a lot of interest. But I have to say, to be honest, the, the middle management in these governmental structures were always kind of stopping it, yeah? And, um, and then um, Stefan Schreckenberger from Pro Event and Nico Rügel from Whole Concert came to us and said, guys, we really have a big issue. We don't know how we can survive. Usually, you know, Hannover Concert, they did four events a day. Um, they did none, right? So they were really frustrated. And I said, you know, guys, you know, um, that might be the perfect opportunity to actually see um, how dogs behave in the field. And also in a concert, you, you, you have actually a, a relatively structured um, entrance phase, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we approached Lower Saxony, uh, the ministry, and uh, pitched them our idea. Um, and uh, after many discussions, uh, you know, a little bit 
one has to say it would have been nicer to be earlier because we started the whole process in the beginning of the year and then obviously we just are now doing the concerts um and in the beginning of the year i think we could have made a bigger difference but they did fund a study you know and and we are really grateful for that because it's the first of its kind where we have a parallel of antigen test pcrs and the dog knows and we are comparing different types of search behaviors we have a lineup we have um we, we do uh, you know um single samples or uh, uh, uh pooled samples and and see you know how good the dog is um and um one has to say that we have a very high vaccination rate um even whatever government tells you <laughs> but the people who come to the studies are highly vaccinated mm -hmm. which is good um and yes you are you're right you know we know that people who are vaccinated still have a chance to to be infected and to be a carrier yeah um the question is a little bit how many days no one can really answer that i i think it halves your chance of of um being able to to be infected and transmitting the disease when it means obviously you don't have a severe disease anymore but you can still be spreading the virus um, um and 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 how it is i mean we have now thousands of people screened um they first have to go to the test center to do an antigen test they take a sample there as well so because we wanted to obviously have samples uh which the dogs can sniff sniff at so we you know we can compare and we took a pcr sample right um and um, um quite a bit of stuff to do and then when they obviously come in the evenings they get another sample taken so we just take a an a sample from you know from your arm um uh from your armpit and and that's it and um it's um it's not a big big thing probably um, also big... quite popular if people know why what it is about and uh, that i mean it's always so when dogs are about i see that also so often on the airport if they have sort of um drug or or exactly. explosive uh, um a, a detecting dog still having the dog around sort of reduces especially sort of these sniffer dogs not the german shepherd who is snarling yeah. at you but to the sniffer dog sort of gives it all quite a yeah what should Security. I say amicable atmosphere hundred percent so, and 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 as always you are spot on um, and to be very honest um, two things to that we asked people before we we did this whole trial and ninety seven percent of the people said they would think the dog would be a great idea um, and. You know, the other thing is that um, they even trusted the dog more than the PCR, which you, which is, I think is, is phenomenal. And yeah. you're totally right. You know, one of the things which I learned doing this study, which I totally did not appreciate, but the people um, who came to the concerts are really proud to take part in a study to make a difference. And I'm not sure if the governments really understand this phenomenon, but I, I think involving the population more in this whole process would have definitely got a lot more support for some of the hard facts they had to create by the lockdowns, right? Um, but it, it was really an amazing thing because, you know, we did pull out 
um, obviously some individuals, and they were all okay. You know, they knew there was a study. They were actually fine with it. And um, and and when you ask the people, they all thought it was great. It was a great experience. They absolutely loved it. And and you know, they had to go obviously to a test center. They had to get samples taken. They we we asked them about the medical history. Obviously, all you know after data protection, um, you can't do it differently in Germany anyway. Um, and it was um, it was great. And and you know, so, so I hope that politicians involve people more and and don't don't alienate them. You know, by but but involving them rather than making them making them part of the solution rather than making part of the problem. No and. So, how any information already about the results? Yeah, to I, be honest, how um, well how well did it work? And did they did they find people who? who yeah. Were so so because we had such a high vaccination rate until now, we, we they didn't find anyone who was infected. Saying this, we we had obviously samples from. Um, you know, inactivated samples, which we, which we uh, presented them on a random way. Everyone was blinded, um, mm -hmm. and they detect them. Um, I, I I can't hundred percent say because I don't know the results from last time. But you know, the first three there was a hundred percent detection rate. It was unbelievable. Did you? So, did so, you, so did our you get... internal control worked perfectly. The PCR tests did they yield anybody positive sort of at these events? No. So, I mean, then then the dogs can't be blamed if the PCRs no, are... Exactly. And, you know, and, and to be honest, we had um, a, um, uh, we, we had a couple of folks which we pulled out, um, but, you know, um, I'm talking about three, hey? And, um, and the PCR had some uh, possible uh, um, false positive results. You know, they had some curves. Um, and, and we had antigen antigen tests which were um false positive so so you know you any test system you use obviously has its flaws so so yes yes the pcr is the golden golden uh, uh test but um it's obviously still has some limitations right so yeah so i mean provide considering that this is a viable route to take. So how could the future look like? Sort of events sort of that 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 more of these dogs are now trained, that um, sort of we go more over to sort of screening sort of people, more sort of large numbers of people rather than testing. You you just have the dog on standby, let them go a single file sort of through it and that's it rather than than testing that would be the idea yeah i i, I mean I, I personally think you know it would give an another safety layer to any any big events um they are definitely cheaper than any any other test system which is out there um i mean we train now obviously quite a few dogs because you know we, because it was a research project but you know you could people people talk about 50 cents to a euro per sample you know it depends on the setup how many you screen as more you screen as cheaper it becomes 
when we when we had um, entries of in one and a half hours a thousand people that was not a problem you know um, yes if you have a, a football stadium of fifty thousand you would obviously it's a different scale um, mm. but you know you could either do it in in a way that you say I only do the unvaccinated ones and I I screen them you know I. There's different scenarios. I think you can apply this. I don't know how the politics is across across Europe. So people who are listening to this um, chat, uh, I definitely know in Germany at the moment there's a very big push to the vaccinated or people who recovered from from um, SARS-CoV-2 infection. Um, it's going away a little bit from the testing um, strategy because. Um, I guess we all know they want to increase the number of people getting vaccinated. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not sure. I, I can see that, I mean, we got a lot of money for this study, but to be very honest, half of that money was for the PCR because they are so expensive. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah that's the thing. Well, and in the end of the day, did you get some con free concert tickets out of it? Yeah, you know, <laughs> if you think about when you when you when you get up and think about you know um, you you do your research and um, and 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 you are a scientist, I would have never thought I I would um, <laughs> throw a couple of concerts. I mean, and you know, our, we had Fury, mutual, Fury in the slaughterhouse. friend Dennis Novak, he would have made sure that first he would have checked what sort of music are we talking about and what sort of concert tickets there are. So, yeah. so that would have been a very, very important point with this. Yeah, we, we, we actually, our plan was a little bit to, to start with the um, more seasoned population and then go to younger. So we, we had Fury in the Slaughterhouse as the first, which is which was great for Hanover because obviously, you know, they originated from Hanover and, yep. um, and then a, a German, uh, German singer Bosse and he did a great show and it was a really nice atmosphere. People were really excited to be there. It was a lovely evening. Um, and then we went, then we moved inside. So we first did the two outside, then we moved inside. And we had a, um, uh, some people might know it, but not called Alle Farben. He's like a DJ and does a fantastic show, a really great show with, you know, uh, fire and graffiti. And it was really good. It was really, and people were dancing and really happy. It was just a pleasure to see people relax. You know, it's, I did not realize how much we need this, social interaction and the relaxation and then um and then we have um had sido uh, you know a german rapper um and um so we, we we really tried to pick different types of audiences um yeah and now now it's crunching the numbers and see see what we get um but it was definitely um an interesting thing and i i you know and i i didn't appreciate um how many people are involved to get get an artist on stage you know you know about obviously some people there but that's a lot of people involved and all these people had no money in this you know yeah. in the covid yeah. times um it's you know because you always think that yeah okay you know you have a rock star and oh my gosh they have so much money they probably don't know how to spend it but it's not it those guys it's the 
it's the guy who you know who built up the racks who built up all the the stuff in the backgrounds and they had no job so yeah um it was it was it was a really it was a a, a nice ride and i i do have to say i do hope that people take it on um um, our dog training and stuff um, has been, you know, some countries have adopted it. Um, there are now some dogs in uh, in use in Africa, in Kigali, in Rwanda. Um, and and I, I do think that that's probably also an area where people are more likely to be able to use them because they are more difficult uh, access to um, antigen tests or PCRs and uh, <coughs> resources because we are we're living in a, in a very factor. rich country Definitely. you know also yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and and we'll see you know i i personally think what what has happened um i mean you made in the beginning uh, about the one health um idea that um that you know we normally copy what has happened in, in in human medicine i always make the joke that thanks to humans our guinea pigs we know what to use in dogs um, but you know, the other thing is, is the UK and I'm really sorry guys, but you know, the UK was always for us in, in, in Germany, we always look what happening is there. And when they loosen something, then we obviously read their studies of infection or not. And then we, we change our behavior. Right. Um, and, and then that's, that's, has been, you know, and they just let, let it go at the moment. And we are all waiting for the big bang to happen there. Um, but it looks like Germany is now following track. Yeah, so it's um, it's it's definitely an, an interesting experience we all have been part of. Hey, um, but what I can tell you is, I think next time I hope the politicians will involve the public more because it was it was so great. People they were happy, they were felt proud to be part of the study. It was it was really great um, experience in my career. One one of a lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for taking us sort of uh, on a whole journey through this amazing story and also um, to give us an idea of the complexity of, of the whole thing. It's just, I mean, you, you just scratched the surface and I mean, there must have been just so many headaches uh, on, on, on the way leading up to it, but it, it came up with a really great result and it certainly puts our profession in, uh, 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 in a very, very good light. And uh, I mean, that is just so important. So thank you very much, Holger Folk, for joining us for this episode for Fekava Vet Chat. If someone would like to comment on this episode or would have uh, good ideas for future Fekava Vet Chats, please email us on vetchat at fekava.org or use our social media outlets with comments. Um, thank you very much for joining us and I hope to see you all soon again or give you an opportunity to listen to us very soon for another episode of the Cover Vet Chat. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. Bye.